2: Today on Barca Talk, there is talk of Silicin looking for more time at another club, and Everton is keen to sign Andre Gomes for good. Barca Femini and Barca B are both getting stellar results, and FC Barcelona's first team saw a draw in the Champions League and a primo football win in La Liga, including a hat-trick from Leo Messi. Hey everybody, welcome to Barca Talk. This is Brian Henderson coming to you from Buffalo, New York. Joining me as always from Madrid, Spain is Gabriel Quiroga.
0: Brian, Brian, my Barca brother from another mother. How we doing?
2: We are doing well. I'm doing unshowered because I had a, Megan and I had a late night last night. Some friends of ours threw their holiday party. It was a lot of fun. I turned more people on to backgammon, which was great. I was teaching people backgammon down in the basement, Um, but we, we didn't even leave the house and. That the party was at until two in the morning, and then we got home. Uh, we slept until about noon. So then, of course, we just uh, kind of hung around the house. We made some pancakes, blueberry pancakes, and then we watched a little Saturday Night Live. and And then we watched the game. So I still haven't even showered yet.
0: You know, those are Sunday goals, baby. Right? Pancake and no shower. That's the Sunday yeah. life. <laughs> I know. I know. <laughs> um, yesterday, I too had a Christmas lunch with my friends and. That was also a long day. We started around one thirty or so and didn't end till about two in the morning as well. so it was a long day for sure, but a lot of fun to get together because like we were talked about on I think during last week, you know with your group of friends, it's really hard to get everyone to agree on a date, you know, and so this is kind of one of those occasions where we booked this date like four months ago to make sure that everyone can make it so uh, so it was a lot of fun for sure.
2: Well, I'm glad that nothing uh, changed, and everyone was able to to make it work.
0: Correct, correct. Because you know, the the funny thing here is, you know, I was talking with a friend of mine is that this past weekend is the probably the strongest party weekend of Madrid because of all the either people have uh, dinner with friends or dinner with their companies for holidays. And everyone is leaving next weekend. So this past weekend, you know, everyone was out essentially at the bars and at the restaurants and so forth. Oh, man. So a busy city becomes even busier. Exactly. And, and that's the thing is that everyone after this weekend will start to kind of migrate to their pueblos or to their villages to spend Christmas time for sure with their families.
2: Yeah. Well, let's let's dive into some news. And I have to say this was the first time uh, this is a Barca talk first that you were in full editorial control of the news section. And uh, I'm very happy with the work you've done and uh, happy with the stories you've chosen. So why don't you kick it off? with the news sure
0: Sure. so you know we we were talking about this over the week that you know since i'm here in spain to kind of uh kind of give the voice of what's happening here in spain talking about barca so you know this past week i've just been kind of looking at the news and this morning i got the newspaper and just a couple items that we're going to talk about that kind of stuck out for me um especially since this week was kind of slow the first one was about future. Now. You know, we talked about um, or we saw on Wednesday how good Sillison's performance was against Tottenham with the amount of saves he had and how he kept Barca in the match. And um, there was an interview with De Boer, who's the national team coach for the Netherlands. And he basically was asked about Sillison's future as the top goalkeeper for the Netherlands. And he basically advised Sillison to maybe find another team where he could find more matches between 25 and 30 a year,
2: yeah, and that seems reasonable for a, a national team coach because, especially with the Netherlands, you know, they're they missed out on the last World Cup, which was really disappointing. But you know, traditionally, they're a very strong nation in world football, and de Boer wants his top goalkeeper to be playing a lot during the year, exactly. And and
0: he is, you know, a lot of teams are inquiring about him, especially for the amount of, you know, his price essentially is a good deal right now. And he has a lot of potential to be a top 10 goalkeeper in the world, especially with his physical abilities and his talent to uh, stop shots and to make key saves during the match.
2: Yeah. And so would you see him going to the premier league perhaps, or what are the stirrings?
0: Yeah. I mean, that's the thing, right? The premier league has the most money. So that's probably going to be the jump for him. Um, There hasn't been really a team that's linked with him, but I mean, you talk about any of those teams in the, you know, after the top five, and they all need a good goalkeeper. And him being there is a definite upgrade.
2: Do you think he's a better goalkeeper than, say, David De Gea? Uh, no, I don't think that. But
0: also, I, you know, I think Terstegan, I would rather take Terstegan over De Gea if I had to, you know, if my life kind of depended on it, kind of the thing. So
2: if you were standing in goal and. <laughs> And a, yeah, and a exactly. soccer ball shaped grenade was being <laughs> was being thrown at you. You would rather have Ter in there to try and save you than De Gea. Yeah, that's a good I'm way of putting, putting it.
0: it. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Maybe like if they, my family was sequestered, right. And they, they needed to be saved, you know, somehow like in like taken or something, you know. And it depended on Ter Stegen or De Gea. I would definitely – I think I would lean towards uh, Ter Stegen for
2: sure. Yeah. No, me too. Of course. (laughs) (laughs) Now, what else do we have going on?
0: Yeah, the other news item that I thought was interesting was, you know, our favorite ex-player, Andre Gomes. Um, He's on loan with Everton right now. And Everton do want to buy him out, but nothing's been official and, you know, in the paper I read today, he said, soy feliz. I'm happy. So uh, it's, you know, again, you know, Andre Gomes is the quote machine, you know, soy feliz. Right. I mean, wow, that is that is amazing. So uh, we'll see what Barcelona can get from him from Everton with his prize.
2: I mean, really, they should be they should be happy to just not have not have him on the on the rolls at all. As long exactly. as even if they take a small loss on him, which I don't think they will they should still be satisfied with that just you know let him move on with his career let's you know close that chapter of any connection of gomes to barcelona and everyone will be a lot happier and actually i was talking with a buddy of mine the my my friend connor who's a man city fan so he he keeps me uh, up to date with what's happening in the the prem and he was saying that he really thinks that Gomes is much better for the Premier League anyway because the the play isn't quite as fast but it's a little more physical and that plays to Gomes' uh, strengths much better and so he's he's playing better he's getting minutes with Everton he says he's happy let him let him you know if you love something let it go barcelona
0: <laughs> and hopefully he doesn't come back <laughs> yeah <laughs> yeah <laughs> 'Cause I think that's the quote, right? So uh, I, I agree with your your boy Connor. So I think, you know, it definitely suits him more because of the the style of play, right? He's just more direct, physical, and it doesn't rely on his first touch so much and the amount of close passing that he'd have to do with Barcelona. So, you know, if ever Tim won him, I you know, I totally agree with that. Let you know Barcelona just negotiate a good price and get him off the books.
2: Yeah. All right. Well, thank you. That was those were two well chosen news items. So let's move into our uh, community section. We have a couple of things that we need to tell you about, about what's going on with Barca Talk. First up is our our first annual Barca Talk Awards, which we're having uh, for the Christmas break. So we're actually going to be laying these out, I believe, next episode, because after that, there will be uh, a short Christmas break. And so we'll take a break along with the league So at the moment, we are accepting nominees for a a couple different awards. The first one would be the Hamfoot Play Award. Uh, This goes to the uh, worst touch on a play. Of course, it's uh, named in honor of Luis Suarez. So he's almost certainly going to be a contender for the award. But he may not necessarily win. Yeah. Then there's the Primo Football Award, which I, I mean, honestly, I think today against Levante, we saw some nominees for that. This would be the best play of the, uh, of the season thus far. And then we have some other categories like the stick out a foot and pray award <laughs> <laughs> named in honor of Munir best newcomer and best gamer of the year. Those, and the, those last three all came from our listener Craig. So we have some, some really interesting uh, categories of award for this year, and we welcome your nominations for those uh, just You know, let us know through one of our many, many communication channels, i.e., social media.
0: Yeah, I think I'm going to put them on the Twitter poll and just try to link up that because I think Twitter has the best way of doing that poll type of thing. So we can kind of make it Twitter official and get some of these uh, award winners out. So uh, I definitely think the, you know, for example, the Primo football, we could definitely get two nominees, especially the, uh, I think it was the third Messi goal. Yeah. It was just Primo football at at its best.
2: Totally. Now, also, we need to talk about our trip to Barcelona. It's coming.
0: Yes, sir. How many days is it away now? It's 117. And I'm going to jump into your arms Ricky Puge style to Denny Suarez.
2: (laughs) I know Megan and I were talking the other day how it's just going to be so weird to be able to touch each other. (laughs) Like, like not in a weird way, but just like we're going to be occupying physical space together. Yeah.
0: Yeah, and and in Barcelona. So that's even going to be more rad, you know? So, I mean, we're going to have such a good time. And like we said, we're going to uh, record and have, like, a a party after the Atletico match, and it should be a good time. We're still trying to kind of work out the details of exactly where it's going to be, most likely at a pub um, that I found in the downtown area. And we're just going to have a great time. We're going to meet up with the listeners that are coming for the trip, and it should be really fun and just, you know, like you said, just, just to see each other and hang out each other in 3D.
2: Yeah. And we there's a travel package for this particular weekend that we are uh sort of connected up with the uh LA Pena and you know Pena members from all over are doing it, but they sort of spearheaded the uh the travel agent aspect of it. Uh and we do have a link of that in the description of this episode and also on the website at barcetalk.net, So if you're interested in that travel package to come see us, uh oh oh yeah, and FC Barcelona. To go see them and uh, hang out with us, watch the game against Atletico, uh, you can do that. Now, also, we have uh, an updated – speaking of net, we have an updated support page. And, uh, I, <laughs> you know, you were trying to make the website faster. You broke it a little mm-hmm. bit, but that was fine. And then you got it back up and running. And then you overhauled the support page with a lot of uh, – it looks great now. Uh, We have an Amazon wish list. We have merchandise for sale that I'm not going to have to send you from my home. It'll just get drop shipped straight from the uh, manufacturer, the printer's office. So if you you order it, then you'll get it quickly. And then, of course, we have our Patreon page where you can support the show for a, a monthly donation. So the updated support page looks great, and there are a lot of ways that if you want to, you can help support the podcast
0: but I just want to make a correction. Oh.
2: I completely
0: broke the website. <laughs> <laughs> yes. We, we, you know, we basically took uh, three steps back, but then we took two steps forward, right.
2: you know, that type of thing. So <laughs> the, the website works now.
0: <laughs> yes. The website works, but there was a couple days where it was, it was pretty bleak, man. <laughs> I, I definitely, I definitely broke it. I was trying to make it faster with like this plugin and it completely broke the website. And I, it was a it was a whole mess, but the good news is it's back up, and like like you were saying, it has an updated support page with different options, and of course, you know, if you want to get the amazing looking Barsa mug, which I cannot wait to get mine, um you could definitely check it out on our support page on barsatalk dot net
2: yes last week, we had to scrap the episode we'd recorded due to catastrophic corruption of our audio files, but that was only for me and Gabriel. One bit of audio that was meant for last week that we can share with you comes from our Barca B correspondent, Max Blewer.
3: Perhaps the biggest news of the week was Carles Alanya signing his contract with the first team. I guess those talks that we mentioned recently went well, and with the horrible cruciate injury that Rafinha suffered a couple of weeks ago, it would have been madness not to give his place in the squad to Alenaz. And Carles got off to a near-perfect start as a fully-fledged Barcelona player, netting his first goal in La Liga after coming off the bench to make it 2-0 against Villarreal before starting in the 4-1 second leg victory over la Leonesa and the Copa del Rey. But this contract does mean that we won't be seeing him anymore at the Mini study. It's sad when the little ones fly the nest, but you've got to learn to let them go. Another Masia alumnus who played against La Gultu, as called our Leonessa unknown, was Ricky Puy. Making his first team debut, he came on for the last thirty five minutes, set out the final goal for Denis Suarez, and generally left the canton agog. Although I've been critical of the hype around Ricky on here in the past, and there has been far too much of it around the kid, from this game it was all too easy to see why everyone has been getting so excited about him he really was imperious in the copper. Perhaps the best illustration of his impact when he came on was that despite playing only 35 minutes, he was the most fouled player in the game. Ricky tracked back, he won possession, he supported his fullback in defence, and he knew when to hang on to the ball and when to give the quick pass, showing a maturity beyond his years. The pièce de résistance was the goal he set up for Denis Suarez with one of his trademark soft-shoe shuffles that have inevitably led him to be compared to the great Andres Iniesta. Ricky played his natural game, and showed that he wasn't overawed by playing at the Camp Nou in front of 75,000 people. He may have only played half an hour, but in that time he grabbed the game by the scruff of its neck and dominated it, exactly as we've been asking him to. We do have to bear in mind, though, that this was a copper game against the Segunda Bay outfit, and that he entered the field when the team were 4-0 up on aggregate, and any competitive tension had long since been lost. Segunda Bay is the level Ricky plays at week in, week out for the B team, and in one sense it would have been even easier for him this time out, surrounded by the likes of Silica Busquets and Suarez. Nevertheless, even if it was only La Culto, the height levels have been turned up to 11. Ricky's personalised physical preparation plan was Mundo Deportivo's cover story last Friday, such is the excitement around the young midfielder. We can only hope that neither he nor the fans get too excited and start to push for levels of involvement with the first team for which he is not ready. It sounds like he has some good people around him though, not least his father Carlos, who after the game told Mundo Deportivo that his son must keep his feet on the ground, and also that I don't want to keep talking to the press because parents can screw things up for their kids. Never a truer word spoken. Interestingly, Carlos Puig also mentioned that Ricky hasn't started as many games for Barca as he has wanted to. The kid needs to start winning games on a regular basis for the beating. The latest slip-up for them was at the mini-study against Valencia B when a 95th-minute equaliser by Ronald Araujo who arguably shouldn't have been playing at all after being knocked unconscious the previous week, salvaged a 2-2 draw after Valencia thought they'd won it with a 92nd minute penalty. The first half was a dull affair, with barely a shot on target until stoppage time, when a Valencia player knocked home across to send his team into the break 1-0 up. Despite the goal, the first half had given little indication of the drama that was set to unfold in the second 45. Barca bombarded their opponent's goal after the break, and Christian Zapater had to be in top form in Valencia's goal but it wasn't until the 80th minute that Oriol Busquets, who must be Sefkiel's long-lost nephew or something, they play in the same position and have the same surname, stepped up and pinged in the equaliser from a 20-yard free kick. Not something his more illustrious namesake has been known to do very often. But I continued to look for the winner. I lost count of the number of crosses Wage put in from right back, but were hit by a sucker punch when Conrad, making his debut with the B team, the poor kid, clipped a Valencia striker in the box and the ref pointed to the spot. The penalty was converted, And that seemed to be that. But from the very last attack of the game, our big ugly Uruguayan centre-back Ronald Araujo got what felt like the hundredth cross from Wage ahead of the keeper and nodded it into the empty net to make it 2-2. So despite the last-minute euphoria of snatching a point from the jaws of defeat, it was, if we're being honest, two points dropped against the Valencia B side that are currently in the bottom three. With all the pressure that Barca applied in the second half, they would have expected to create more clear-cut chances and walk away with the win. But let's not be too down on them, as the boys returned to winning ways today. I'm recording this just a couple of hours after Barcebe saw a spirited Barcelona side, two one, thanks to goals from Balú and that Man at Augeot, again. The result leaves Barcebe in seventh place, just one point and one place off the promotion spots, and it was also notable for the return of Sam Maguine from injury in the final fifteen minutes. Speaking of injuries, we learnt today that striker Abadoris will be out for six weeks after picking up a quadriceps injury in training. That leaves four first teamers captain Ferasa Senadas, winger Kike Severio, central midfielder Montreux, and Ruiz, with medium to long-term injuries. Still, the nature of sport is that an injury to one means an opportunity for another, and Oriol Busquets has performed excellently in Sardis place as the pivot in front of the back four, even earning himself a start for the first team during the week, while Ricky Pui and Alex Collado are excelling in central midfield. Saavedio is proving more of a miss as his replacement, Balu has been inconsistent, Today was only his second goal of the season and his first since the opening day. Still, the run of starts he's set to continue enjoying should give him the continuity most wingers need if they're to excel.
2: That was Max Bleuer, and since that report, Barça B have beaten group leaders Yeida Esportiu 2 to 1. Carlos Perez scored the first for Barcelona in the 40th minute, only to have the score equalized by Yeida's Joan Oriol in the 48th minute. It looked as though that result would stay, but a 90th-minute goal from Collado won three points for Barcelona. The week prior, the boys had a big away win against Barcelona another 2-1 result, with goals from Araujo and Balú. It was their first road victory since October 13th. They're moving up the table, now standing in fifth place, only six points down from the top spot. They're scheduled to play Hercules next Saturday. We'll take a short break, and when we return, we'll hear news of the Barca women and review the Champions League match with Tottenham. All right, we're back, and the Barca women are on a seven game winning streak. To tell us about the most recent victories is Michelle Taylor.
1: Three games, three clean sheets and 12 goals in seven days. Not a bad week's work for Barca Femini as the first half of the Liga season draws to a close before the Christmas break. The pressure to finish the full season earlier than usual is due to the Women's World Cup kicking off in France on the 7th of June. Players involved in the World Cup have to complete their league duties in time to report to their national training camps as their teams prepare for the competition. The first of the three games was at home against Tenerife. The Canary Islands outfit often punches above its weight in the Liga and has been known to knock over some of the bigger clubs, or at least cause them some problems. Playing them is never straightforward, they are the Liga's random chaos factor. The game started with Tenerife very solid in defense, and their pressing was extremely disciplined. Two of their players would quickly close down the Barca player on the ball and they disrupted our passing rhythm so that we were barely able to string three passes together, most un-Barca-like. Tenerife was seriously troubling us down their right side. Ivory Coast speedster and ex-Barca player Ange Coco was giving Mappy Leon and Layla Wahabi a whole lot of trouble and one of her crosses should have been put into the goal, but the shot went just wide, thankfully. The breakthrough finally came six minutes before half-time, when Andresa cut in from the left and crossed into the box, where Aitana Bonmatí was waiting to tap the ball into the net. Eleven minutes into the second half, and Alexia was on the board as she met a pass from Aitana. Her shot wasn't great, it skidded across the ground straight at Tenelefe's goalkeeper, but she spilled the ball and it went past her into the net. Twelve minutes later, and Alexia returned the favour, assisting Aitana for her second goal of the match. 3-0 is where it finished, and the game is brought to you by the letter A. Aitana with two goals and an assist, Alexia with a goal and an assist, and Andressa with an assist. Next up was the away game to Sevilla, and although we had much of the possession, Sevilla was in ultra-defence mode, and it took until the 33rd minute to break the deadlock. Leila Wahabi sent in a high cross, Tony and Alexia rose to meet it, and the Catalana headed the ball into the net, past Sevilla's goalkeeper Noelie Ramos. In the second half, we witnessed some fabulous work by Barbara Latorre down the right side of the pitch as she cut in and managed to thread the ball through three Severe defenders to meet Alexia, who scored her second for the match. And that was the end of the scoring. A strange affair, really, and the score didn't reflect the Balgrana dominance. We had 80% possession, 11 shots on target, and 14 off target. Sevilla could only manage one shot for the whole game, and that came just before full time. But a win is a win, and a clean sheet to go with it is even better. Back home four days later to play Madrid's CFF. Twenty minutes into the game, and I bet they were wishing that it was already over. We were already four goals up, with Alexia, Tony, Patri, and Mata Torrejon on the score sheet. Andresa added a penalty after the half-time break, and then it was time for some history to be made. In the 53rd minute, under-17 World Cup champion Claudia Pina was subbed onto the pitch. She also won the golden ball and the silver boot. Her luggage was definitely heavier on the way home from Uruguay. In the 58th minute, Barça B right back and under 17 World Cup champion Jana Fernandez was subbed on. At 16 years, 9 months old, she's the second youngest player to debut for the A team, behind Claudia Pina who was 4 months younger when she played her first Barça A minutes. Yana Fernandez is a name to remember. I haven't seen a more intelligent and intuitive young defender than Yana. Barca DNA runs strong in this one. I'm sure that you'll be hearing a lot more about her in the years to come. So now we had two 17-year-olds on the pitch and 18-year-old Candela Anduha who was handed her first senior start in this game. Candela was also the next on the scoreboard as she dribbled past two defenders into the box and celebrated her starting debut with a goal. Chants of Candela, Candela could be heard from the fans at the game. Not to be outdone, Claudia Pinas scored the seventh goal for the match nine minutes later in the 70th minute. It was also her first senior goal, but she was grimacing in pain after the goal and limped off to get treatment. At this stage, it got a bit hairy for Barca. The win wasn't in any doubt. What was doubtful was if we would have any players left on the pitch to complete the 90 minutes, especially as all four subs had been made. Thankfully, Claudia's injury wasn't too bad, so she was able to come back on. But then Candela went off to be treated for cramp. While she was off the pitch, Barbara La went off with a more serious leg injury, so now we were down to nine. Candela rejoined the game and then Mapi Leon started limping. We were the walking wounded. We finished the game with 10 players on the pitch and 7 goals in the bag. I don't think it's too often that a team scores 7 goals with 7 different goal scorers, but Barca did just that. Alexia, Tony, Patri, Marta, Andresa, Candela and Claudia with 1 goal each. The Copa de la Reina quarter-final draw took place last week and Barca has drawn Madrid CFF. It will be difficult for the team to put this 7-0 defeat behind them, but at least the game won't be until the end of January, and will be played in Madrid. It's a 3G pitch which is to Madrid's advantage, as we typically don't play as well on artificial surfaces as we do on grass. There are two games left to play before Christmas, against EDF Logroño and Malaga, before a two-week break. Hopefully by the time the team returns in 2019, we'll be back to almost full strength again with all players fit and healthy, with the exception of Jemma Gilly, who is out for three months recovering from ankle surgery. Vizca e force força Barca Femini.
2: That was Michelle Taylor. To keep up with the Barca women, follow her on Twitter at Barca Women. All right, let's turn our focus to the first team and talk about the Champions League match against Tottenham last week. It was a 1-1 tie, uh, which is not a great result, but... Like we said, going into it, we had essentially nothing that we had to fight for. We already clinched the group, so that's done. We were able to—well, Valverde was able to field a team of mostly second-string or B-team players, give them minutes, give them experience, and considering the fact that the lineup was you know, mostly a chemistry-free zone, we still managed to get a 1-1 draw some good performances and a great goal from Dembele and we still win the group. We're still moving forward. There was really nothing lost.
0: Yeah. I mean, it was a, I would say like we talked about, you know, it's, you couldn't have asked for more, right? We got it. We got a point. We were able to rest a lot of our starters. Um, we did enough to, you know, not let Tottenham win. I would have liked to seen us win and beat Tottenham and not see Tottenham go through the Champions League, me selfishly. But <laughs> like you said, Dembele had a outstanding performance. And again, we were able to use Miranda back there, Vermalin. Um, you know, our tour got some more playing time, of course, your boy Lanya, who you love. And, you know, I, I would have, you know, if Malcolm was healthy, I would I would have liked to see him start instead of Munier. I think would have been my only change to the lineup.
2: Yeah, absolutely. I I agree. But of course, you know, he just wasn't available. And I think had he been available, he probably would have started instead of Munir. I agree. I totally
0: agree. And especially, you know, as a as a kind of point man for Suarez, like a backup, I think he just fits that role a lot stronger than Munir does.
2: Yeah. Now let's talk about the first notable event of the match, which was Dembele's goal in only the seventh minute that put us ahead. And man, it was a it was a killer, killer counterattack. Great run. Good finish, the whole package.
0: You know, this is it's such an interesting case with Dembele, right? Because this whole season, we've seen how important he is to us. He gives us that added balance when Messi and Suarez aren't playing or not scoring, right? He gives us that 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 spark, right? And especially with his speed, is just un- unbelievable. And it was on pure display on this goal, right? I mean, he basically took it coast to coast made the last defender look silly. Then did his patented Deke move, right, where he kind of fakes the shot and, the, you know, basically pulled the air brakes, right? They just flew right by, Top Gun style, right? Yeah. They slid, they, they slid you know, they slid, and he just coolly and calmly just passed it through the And so, you know, it was off and running in the seventh minute, and that was definitely a good, you know, um, you know, good starting point for the match because then all of a sudden now Tottenham had to really chase the match and go after it.
2: Yeah, and so we were talking about this a little bit last week on the Patreon episode, which uh, I brought up the question, you know, what's Dembele going to do once people figure out his fake shot, pass it to the other foot thing? How's he going to deal with that once every time he tries to do that, he gets shut down?
0: Yeah, and like I said, the counter to that is his first time it now, right? Because now you're going to just you know, now the defender is not going to know what to do. And especially with Dembele speed, like I told you, Brian, like when you're defending someone so fast and they put you on your back of your heels, it makes you so nervous. You know, when someone is twice as fast as you and not only twice as fast, but equally, you know, just as how skilled he is, you know, with the ball. Now, you know, part of the problem that I still see, especially like in tonight's match and so forth is his passing accuracy sometimes, but those moments of brilliance, you know, as we saw in the Via the Lead match and some other matches throughout the season, he's a spark plug and he is necessary for our success this year.
2: Yeah, absolutely, I and mean, he's showing it, you know, because despite all of his, you know, discipline issues, he's still getting minutes and he's still, you know, showing up and giving these great performances. Now, I also want to uh, bring this back kind of to what we were saying in the news section about Silasen because. Again, since we had already won the group and clinched it, Sillison was able to start in this match, uh, which is a little out of the ordinary because otherwise we would have expected to see Ter in goal. But because of the situation, Sillison was able to start and he was excellent in this match. You know, he made six saves and not just six ordinary humdrum saves. They were at least a couple of them were really solid, you know, jaw-dropping saves.
0: Yeah, exactly. We talked about this, you know, sometimes when you look at the score sheet and you see six saves, you know, maybe some of them are directly kicked to the keeper. They're not spectacular saves, but all these saves were, you know, basically poster saves, you know, that you would, if you wanted to make a Cillicent poster, you can use any of these saves, right? And, you know, he definitely, for me, was the man of the match because he kept... Uh, Barcelona in the match throughout throughout the whole game with these saves, and especially that one save where, I don't know how he got to it, but he, he basically just used his whole body to extend on the line perfectly and just keep the ball out. I mean, even with the VAR, you can see it perfectly did not cross the line. And again, as we talked about in the news, Sillison is physically a great talented keeper and I definitely think this will be his last season I think he will eventually just leave the the team go to a better you know to get more playing time but it's such a nice luxury like you said compare him to Pinto though from the last years you know Yeah, it's I mean it's it's not even a question of how great Stillson is
2: right absolutely so uh, now the next thing that I want to bring up is how I I guess I'd call it the downside like I said I'm I'm perfectly happy with How they played, given the fact that there were so many second stringers and, you know, youth players and that sort of thing and all of that. But what you could say is a little bit of a downside was the possession numbers, because we lost possession 49 to 51. So it was tight. But still, like this is that's it's not something that you expect from Barcelona. Right. But you can completely explain it because of the lineup because of who's in there and their the shortness of chemistry in this particular lineup. So like again I'm fine with it but it was a little bit of a downside.
0: No, and I would say yeah, you know, it's definitely because of the chemistry, but also Tottenham's high pressing as well. Now, since Tottenham was really going after the match, they were pressing high and they were really attacking us as soon as we got the ball. And so a lot of times we were just trying to long ball it up and hope to beat them on their high press. So it was a mixture of those two things, but since we didn't really have our typical uh, midfield, that's going to string those passes together. Uh, that's why we, you know, quote, you know, we lost the possession game, but still it was really close as you have your 59 41. So it wasn't such a huge disparity as
2: you would think on paper. Right. Yeah. And looking at that midfield, uh, particularly the, the three, cause I think Coutinho sort of, he uh, walks the line between forward and midfield a lot of times including in this match but the primary midfield players were Rakitic, Alenia and Arthur and I'm pretty sure those three guys have never played all at the same time.
0: Correct you know especially with Alenia right so you know Alenia you know he's a La Masia product so he knows the positioning and where to go but at the same time like you said he's never played with Rakitic or Arthur and so it's going to be hard to string those passes and especially when you have the Tottenham players bearing down on you the whole time, right? Because they were really trying to go after it, especially in that second half. There was a span where we barely got breathing room and they were completely possessing and having attacks on us. And so, you know, we were just trying to survive and not, you know, get scored on essentially. And, you know, it held out, you know, like you said, the possession since when we have it, more than six years, seven years, something like that, that we haven't lost a possession game like that.
2: Yeah. Yeah. So yeah, that midfield just they they individually might have the skills to deal with the kind of pressing Tottenham was giving but as a group you know they weren't quite prepared for that level of pressing that they were bringing but anyway we're on to the round of 16 we knew we would be so no no surprises there the draw is going to be on Monday the 17th and who do you want to see us against in the round of 16 like who would your ideal choice be
0: yeah i mean for me that i guess my ideal choice would be maybe leon or manchester united i think You know, even though Manchester United has some talent, when I was watching the match today against Liverpool, they do not scare me at all, and I think they're very overrated. And I think we can really exploit them. Obviously, the easier team is going to be someone I want, but at the same time, it's Champions League. Uh, I expect difficult draws and difficult matches. So if we if we draw Liverpool, I'm down with that as well. Bring it, you know. And like you said, you brought up a good point with the matches coming in February, that it may be to our benefit.
2: Yeah, to play a British team because they have such a tight schedule. They even play on, you know, Boxing Day. They do not take a Christmas break. So we might be able to take advantage of a little bit of fatigue on their part if we can play a Premier League team.
0: Yeah, I mean, this is when it gets tight, right? Because Liverpool is at the top of the Premier League right now. And so what do they do, you know, going through these next matches, which are going to be difficult with the weather? You know, they're not going to have a break. And then all of a sudden they have to, let's say if we drew them, then they probably have to play us in the camp no first most likely i mean that's usually what happens and then all of a sudden they have to travel they have to balance that team now their team is not as deep as ours i would say and so like if we drew liverpool i definitely think i would like it now because they would have so many games in succession
2: yeah and then my other choice would be roma just for pure revenge
0: <laughs> yeah 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 i like it i love it revenge is what a dish served sort of colder what how does that saying go? yes the uh, revenge is a dish
2: best served cold and when is it coldest but in January. Yes. Or exactly. February. February. I don't know. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Whenever this round of matches is being played. No, yeah, it's, it's going to be played February. in February. <laughs> yeah. So, okay. Looking forward to that next round of Champions League. We're going to take one more break. And when we come back, Messi's most recent hat trick in La Liga. All right, and let's close out this episode with the the primo football match of the season so far, I think, uh was the Levante match in La Liga uh, at the Camp Nou. It was a 5-0 win. I mean, what can you say about this? Let's let's I mean, the lineup was great and I thought it was interesting that of course Valverde although he played Alba, he also played three center backs and so he was mostly playing Alba as a forward midfield to forward left player. And so we really had three in the back, and I think that was the first time Valverde had three in the back this season, as I recall.
0: Yeah, and the other thing too is because Tomato had an injury that just happened on training, like Friday or Saturday, so it was kind of an emergency type of thing. And so, you know, when I first saw the lineup, I saw Vermalin and I was like, right back Vermalin. I was like, well, what's going on here? I said, they can't, don't do this again. You know, that was my first thought. And then when I first, then when I was watching the the match on television, they broke it down to a three five two, and so that kind of made more sense just like what you said they had Alba and Dembele as the wingers to help back on defense as well now I thought it was a curious move but again you know with the Semedo and obviously your boy Sergio Roberto out um, we definitely had to tinker with the lineup and at first I mean you saw for the first maybe what 30 minutes or so we had a hard time trying to figure out our spacing um, the passing link up especially with Messi and Suarez up there It was kind of, you know, we were definitely not able to string a lot of passes together. But then, of course, as soon as we got that first goal, we started to get more space between Levante. And then all of a sudden, we were able to really find our our rhythm and our passing. And obviously, what can you say about Messi's performance as well?
2: Oh, yeah. Well, you know, so breaking down the, the, the match as far as, you know, how we looked in the opening. And then once we got our first goal, there was this moment in the 33rd minute. This is when Levante had a, a solid shot and Longley, honestly, as the TV replay showed, he Longley committed ball handling, but it was not called. And then they had a shot on that play that bounced, you know, it was one of those in and out things off the crossbar. So mm. Levante didn't score. And it seemed like up until that point, you know, Barcelona were trying to get into the match. They were having a little bit of a, of trouble. Uh, generally maintaining possession, but Levante were, you know, causing them problems and uh, also really kind of owning us in the midfield, which wasn't good. But then as soon as that happened, Levante almost scored on us. Then suddenly we woke up because two minutes later, we got our first goal from Suarez with that incredible dribble and assist from Messi and with the volley finish in the air from Suarez.
0: Yeah, it's a good point because like you said, Levante was really in the match, you know, because this is the formation they use. And so they're really used to this three, five, two. And of course us, we're not used to this. So we're trying to find our footing. And like you said, when they hit the post on that one shot, it definitely woke us up because it wasn't just a, a dinker. Like it was a thump, right. Of a shot, right. It was a like, bam. And it, like ricocheted like 15 yards backwards. So it was definitely a really strong shot. And, you know, lucky for us, it did not pass the line. And like you said, you know, uh, Busquets again, I mean, how underrated is this guy? I mean, he starts the the play basically because of his high pressing. thing. Levante turns it over. Messi gets it, goes to the left box, and then does basically you know how much I love chips, right? You know how much I love cuchadas, and this was like a half pass cuchara between two defenders, and of course Suarez instinctively just sticks his foot out as a volley and just hammers it home, and it was a man. It, I don't know which is better, the pass or the finish.
2: I you know. know.
0: It's, it's like, which one do you choose? But
2: both equally just great. Well, the pass I found to be the more improbable looking thing because the the angle on that pass was uh, so tight. I mean, he was assen- – because Messi was passing the ball essentially square to Suarez while he was actually facing away from him. So the way he was able to move his body and get his leg around on it and hit the right spot on his foot to get it to go square backwards to Suarez was I think the more improbable thing and ultimately I I I won't say more impressive because again for Suarez to jump in the air and first time it on that volley it was like it's almost like a double volley because not only is the ball in the air he's in the air yeah and that's we've talked about how Suarez on volleys is part of what makes him such a top striker in the world. Sure. I mean, again, for the pass, and,
0: and that's the other thing is that when Messi drags that ball all the way to that corner, he takes the defense out of position because at any moment he was going to shoot and basically took two guys with him. And that left Suarez open in, in the middle on the inside. And then the pass was amazing. Obviously, the finish, you know, to just time it and to hit it with that kind of pace and accuracy is super impressive, like you said. And and that really kind of got us got the ball started for us and then we just kind of rolled from there
2: yeah and levante after that you know they had some select moments but never anything quite as threatening as that 33rd minute and yeah well, then we just started really rolling so let's get into messi's hat tricks this is his 31st hat trick in la liga which closes him in on the la liga record for hat tricks which is 34 held by ronaldo of course but now he's out of la liga so I think there's a very good chance that Messi will dethrone Ronaldo on that score, which is always nice. But starting with the first one, this was in for the 43rd minute with that breakthrough pass from Busquets for Messi, a short run, and then a killer finish, which was, by the way, right-footed.
0: It was, and I noticed that too. I, it was so funny because I noticed the right foot just for you, basically. Because, <laughs> um, you know, how much I love saying that he, he I would like to to use the right foot a little bit more, but yeah. And the the thing is the Busquets ball was the first thing, right? That through ball was just primo football is what it was, right? It was hashtag primo football. It was hashtag. And then not only that, but the finish by Messi again, he beats the defender one-on-one, you know, chasing the ball down essentially, you know, sometimes we forget how fast Messi is because lately that's not what he's doing, right? Because he's, he's more doing playmaking in the middle, but you forget he still has that speed burst, on the outside sometimes. And he was able to show that on this play and he beat the defender and the keeper with that, just a really cool, calm shot past the keeper and to put us to up to nothing after that.
2: Yeah. And then he scores again. So Suarez starts it. He goes out wide to Alba. Alba cuts it back and Messi scores running into the pocket left by the defenders coming into the box.
0: Yeah. I mean, and this is right after halftime. I mean, this is literally coming out of the gates and we just score that goal right after halftime, which was, you know, amazing to get that kind of goal and response right out, out, out of the gate. And so, like you said, you remember how Suarez always does this dummy run and he just knew Messi, you know, when they when they, when they they work, they work amazingly, right? <laughs> and on this play, Messi came through the drag and just hit it one time, just a really nice finish. And the keeper had no chance and we were up three, nothing. And, and to me, you know, in this match, I would have, you know, Jordi Alba was great, right? I mean, he was bombing up. I mean, for me, it was... it it gave him a little bit more liberty to go up that wing even more than he normally does because we had the three back, you know, so of the spacing and on this play, he was able to exploit that space with his speed.
2: Yeah. And I really liked him uh, in that role. And I was also really impressed with how Dembele, you know, looking at the other side of it, impressed by how Dembele was coming back. I mean, of course, he was instructed to come back and almost function as a right back at times. Um, of course in the first half, it was more him. And then in the second half, Rakitic sort of performed that role a little bit more, but you know, at least someone was always coming back. And I almost felt like Dembele was, was, was up for it, but not necessarily uh, happy, but going back to Alba. Yeah. Just all the work that he was doing mostly offensively. But then once Artur came on for Vermalen now Alba comes back, does, does. A little bit more defensive work, I mean he was just he's such a versatile player, and I feel like I don't know if this is common amongst other leagues, other clubs right now, but it really seems like Barcelona has developed this idea of a a fullback or a wing back who's more of a utility player you know Sergio Roberto on the right, Alba on the left. you could put him just about anywhere along the the length of the pitch and they'll be able to do something good for you.
0: I mean, a lot of teams try it, you know, but a lot of teams don't have the talented players to do that. I mean, they're really special players to do this. You know, I'm thinking of maybe Marcos Alonso from Chelsea is a player that could do this type of role, but it's really hard to find players that are so versatile like Alba and Sergio Roberto. It's a nice luxury to have. Now, talking about Dembele's performance, he had a, you know, I would say above average performance, especially since he was asked to defend so much. I think it kind of limited his ability to attack because he was so focused on defense in this match. But he did eventually find his footing, and he was able to get more attacking prowess. But the only thing I would have to say with Dembele is he just needs to get better with his passing accuracies. He had a lot of passing errors today where he gave the ball. And also, when he gave the ball, he didn't really chase it down because he had to go back on defense to, the, to fulfill his responsibility.
2: Right, right. Now, getting back into Messi's hat trick and the the final the final crown on that or the jewel in that crown Uh, in the 60th minute, he gets the third goal for the hat trick and starts with PK playing it down to Suarez and Suarez worked really hard to dribble it downfield, doing a little bit of dribbling, which is not necessarily his strongest suit, but he was able to juke out the defender, get some space out in front of him. And then he played this, you know, cross field ball to Vidal and then Vidal puts it back in for Messi in the middle for the finish. And I th- I think that was my favorite of the three.
0: The technical ability of Suarez in this goal buildup is just out of this league because the first thing for him to get the spacing through that nutmeg, you know, to get the nutmeg, then on top of the pass that he gave to Vidal with the outside of his foot so accurately, the way it bended around the defense is so Difficult to do. I mean, he looked up and point, and Vidal was waving for the ball, and Suarez picked him out with that. And then obviously, I thought Vidal was going to one time it, and he just found Messi perfectly, and Messi was wide open. I mean, it was just a tic tac toe type of goal, and it was just a thing of beauty because the way it just went from one end to the other end to the middle and goal.
2: Yeah, yeah. And uh, again, I, I just have to echo again how good the work that Suarez did on that buildup was. And again the like you mentioned the vision to get it out to Vidal and to put it back in for Messi so you know it's just it's just again it's one of those games that reminds you how great Messi is but you know what more can we say now then the fifth goal was for fun I mean at this point you know we're in the 88th minute Uh, Cavaco in the 76th minute had committed a really nasty challenge on Dembele so he got the red card Levante's down four goals they're down to 10 men now and in the last closing minutes of the match PK decides I'm going to get forward as he sometimes is able to do you know he sometimes he has the luxury of saying I want to indulge in my you know my failed forward fantasies and (laughs) and I want to get into the box and I want to score a goal and he does it.
0: I mean, he had a great run. If you watch the re- replay, he gets the ball and he starts the attack. And he goes all the way from the one box to the other box. And, and, you know, again, he does have that ability. I mean, like you said, he has those failed forward fantasies, right? When he was a kid, I think he tried to be a forward. And he does have the talent. I mean, don't get me wrong. I mean, we've seen it before. And when you watch the run, it's just funny because he just makes a straight B line towards the middle by passing and kind of avoiding other players. And it was a nice, cool, calm, collected finish. I mean, he stopped it. The goalie went down, and he just put it right past the goalie. Now, a funny thing after the match, they interviewed him, and it was really funny. The 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 interviewer asked PK, said, "Yeah, um, what can you say about Messi and Suarez? They have 25 goals between them, leading the Europe, and basically as the best scoring tandem." And he goes, "Don't forget, with me, it's 28." <laughs> <laughs> Like without skipping it, without skipping a beat, it was so brilliant. You knew so, it. so, PK, yeah, yeah. So, PK has three goals on the season, which is great. And, like I said, after the third goal, we basically were on cruise control. And, but again, these goals were just so nice. And the other thing, too, is we were able to sub Vermalen out and bring Artur in to keep that formation. And the other thing, Brian, we kept the shutout.
2: Yeah, kept the shutout. And just back to PK's goal, I also want to give props to Denny Suarez because the the dribble that he made on in the buildup kept that play going and it allowed PK to finish that run he was making in the play he was starting. And I think he, he contributed big time to uh, PK's goal. So I hope PK thanked Denise for that as well. I think he did. He said, thank you. He said, gracias, Dennis <laughs> <laughs> Molte grazie, molte grazie. Uh, yeah. But again,
0: you know, you know, it's funny because, you know, at the beginning of this match, right. For the first 30 minutes, I wouldn't say it was nail biting, but it was just, kind of uncomfortable, right? You're just kind of, oh, man, it's going to be one of these matches where we really, really have to, you know, put it together, maybe get a goal late or just kind of – it's going to be, a, you know, kind of a slog fest. But then as soon as we got that goal, we were able to find our footing – and I have to I have to give credit to Valverde with the formation today. I, you know, at first I was not a fan of three five D because we don't have the experience of playing in that formation, but we found our footing because, you know, our players are very cerebral, which is great, right? And like you said, the versatility. And once we got that first goal, it was just a, you know, an avalanche of goals essentially.
2: Yeah, and then I thought about you when I saw this uh formation because like you just mentioned, on one hand, it's a tactical setup that we haven't done much this season or maybe even at all this season. So there are some risks there. On the other hand, Levante while not, you know, a pushover, aren't necessarily the most threatening team, so we might be able to get away with it though it might have some stops and starts and not be as smooth and flowing but only because we're not super used to it. Now on the other hand, you've complained I've also complained about this in agreement with you, but I think you've been a little bit more vocal about complaining about Valverde's conservatism in his tactics and his strategy. And this to me felt much more aggressive, much less conservative. So I was wondering what you would think about this. So
0: at first I you know I definitely thought I mean it was conservative. You know, we were trying to keep our shape defensively, you know, and, and flood the midfield. And but again, Messi's the, you know he is the the person that kind of creates. I mean, because they were playing 3 a three five two as well. But they interviewed the captain of Levante, and he said, "Yeah, you know, for most of the match, the first thirty minutes we were tight, but they have Messi, and he just killed us," <laughs> is what he said. And that's basically the difference maker when you're looking at this kind of. Uh, on paper what happened and yeah i mean it worked out so now when teams scout us they'll see 433 or a 442 a 352 now so now we can really diversify what we do and teams can't prepare us for just the 433
2: yeah now i also have another thing to bring up which was in the 77th minute Coutinho came on for Vidal And I thought Vidal had a great game. Uh, Vidal was smiling as he came off the pitch. I think he felt good about uh, the work that he did. But then Coutinho was playing in a central midfield role, almost doing a, a kind of false nine sort of thing, or at least an attacking central midfield sort of thing, where he was dropping in deep, almost doing what Messi does a lot of the times, right? He was dropping in deep and trying to start plays and then making runs forward into the box. And there was a moment here and there where it looked really good other moments where it sort of broke down but the the idea of that working out i thought there were definitely times where he looked really good in that role so do you see some potential for coutinho operating in this role more frequently
0: i mean the thing with coutinho that we're seeing is that he's not a you know a true midfielder and he's not a true forward right and in this kind of role this three five two he can play more attacking mid then that I think is going to suit him. And just like you said, he had some shot opportunities, um, you know, in the match against Tottenham, he was more um, attacking, and he hit the post twice, right? So I think we just have to put him on the up, on the attacking third. I think ultimately that is going to be his, his best position with us. But, it, you know, it's it's hard now because now that Vidal is playing so much better in his role he's starting to get more playing time and being preferred over Coutinho. So now it depends on the formation and the match, what we need. And I think Valverde will choose Coutinho accordingly.
2: All right. Agreed. So the next game for us is actually, we do have a full week off, no midweek match this week, but the next game is going to be against Celta on next Saturday in the Camp Nou. And how are Celta doing this season? I haven't even checked yet.
0: I mean, they're always mid-tier and they always play us tough because, you know, they're not scared of us basically. And they have Aspas essentially. So he's a strong, uh, central forward for them. He's a really good player. He's on the national team for sure. uh, he's on the national team. He starts for the, you know, he comes in as a super sub. Essentially. He's always played well at the camp. No, they usually play us better at home, you know, in Celta, but this time they're going to be at the camp. No. And, you know, with the season, uh, the first half of the season kind of winding down we really need to finish this strong because now we're still in first place but atletico and sevilla are right behind us and it just would be a you know a great momentum to go into the break with the lead on
2: top of the table yeah and i think we totally have it in us and just as a general um remark about how we've developed over this season it hasn't been it we've never really had all pistons firing i don't think but I do think the Valverde followed, uh, or he heard the calls for more rotation, using more of the squad, and I think we're starting to see the benefits of that now. Of course, you weren't going to see it early on as he brought in more new players, but also giving other players more time, uh, messing around with different, not so much different tactical formations, but different configurations of players, different partnerships, roles and that sort of thing and i think we're really starting to see some good outcomes of that such that no matter what 11 he starts you can feel pretty good about it whereas before there were some some starting lineups where you there was some head scratchers in there or there was a little bit of um apprehensiveness about you know what that uh what that lineup might be able to do and now i feel like any 11 that he starts uh, unless he really throws a, a monkey wrench in things I'd feel pretty good about prior to kickoff.
0: Yeah, it's a good point. I mean, I think the, especially the last month, I think because of injury situations, he's been forced to rotate the squad, the squad a little bit more. And, but it's been proven to help get rest for these players. And, and to actually get experience because, you know, like you said, I would say our best performance so far, if we were looking at, you know, so far this season, I would say the first half against Espanol. I think we were dominant. We were fresh. We were on fire. We were pressing high and we had all, you know, all pistons firing for that first half. So I think that was definitely. And, but I think also that was a result because of Suarez just coming from injury. So he was rested messy as well. Hasn't been playing um, as many games so far as he did last season because of his injury with his arm. So, um, you know, like you said, I totally agree with that. I think, maybe he is learning and adapting a little bit better and so you know compared to last season where last season i felt like the team was the same starting 11 essentially and they were just running ragged into the break so by the way celta is
2: ninth with 21 points yeah 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 so that should be a good match and i think that we totally have it within us to win (laughs) Special thanks to Michelle Taylor and Max Blewer this week. This has been a production of Barca Talk, written by Gabriel Quiroga and Brian Henderson, editing and music by Brian Henderson, social media and promotion by Gabriel Quiroga. We can't make this show without you, the listeners. To see the premiums you get with a monthly contribution of support, follow the link to Patreon in the episode description. And visca Barca.